There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird, and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared create collaboration, and collaboration creates community, and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. interview is uh, with James Day. He's a filmmaker, a documentarian. Fascinating conversation about really, I suppose, about truth being sort of stranger than fiction. And he's, uh, I would call him a, a filmmaker and a, and a journalist, an investigative journalist, I suppose, but somebody who he says, he says, has been interested in crime, criminals, and psychopaths for quite some time. So you're going to want to listen in on this interview. It's about Charles Manson and his new film, uh, that is called Charles Manson, The Final Words. Uh, it all comes out of a uh, conversation that he had with Charles Manson, who uh, put a collect call through to him while James, uh, the director of the film, was sitting at an Applebee's uh, somewhere in the States. We talk about truth and power and justice and empathy. We talk about uh, uh, mental health issues and upbringing. We talk about the crime itself and about about alternate theories as well around what actually happened in this particular case. We get into voyeurism and, and we talk a lot about how uh, the facts don't always match the narrative that comes through to us in story and, and in history and, and why that might be a concern for all of us. So coming right up, uh, James Day uh, about his film, Charles Manson, The Final Words. And don't forget, face-to-face live ca for more information about my own podcasting and of course uh, patreon.com if you want to uh, support the work that i'm doing uh, through face-to-face live please uh, go there and, and and check that out as well coming right up james day uh, about his new film charles manson the final words well, welcome to Face to Face. We're joined by another very special guest today. Uh, James Day is here with us today to talk about his most recent film, Charles Manson, The Final Words. James, thanks for uh, joining us today. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to meet you. Yeah, I'm so so glad. I can't can't wait to get into this. So so not not really a a, a cheery pick me up, you know. Uh, Charles <laughs> Manson, The Final Words. You've got this uh, crazy phone call that I want to talk about in in a minute or two. But I have sure. to say, for me, when I when I watched it, finally finished uh, watching the film. I mean, I can't believe the 
the the impact that, that not only your film had on me, but the the memories it brought back to me. I was at about, I was about uh, I was too young to remember, of course, the the murders and so on. But the the Helter Skelter, the book, the movie. There was this just this level, this creep factor throughout, and 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 maybe that's not what it is necessarily creepiness. It's 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 I don't know. Maybe it's the evil of it, or it's the style of photography, or something. But there's just <laughs> something about those images, you know. And, and yeah, listening absolutely. to those those the, the, those taped conversations and so on. So so bring us into this. Tell us a little bit about the film and and about that crazy collect phone call that you got at Applebee's. <laughs> a lot of things happen to me at Applebee's. <laughs> Applebee's. It's it's where it all begins, really, isn't it? Oh, and by yeah, the way, yeah. congrat congratulations on a fascinating fascinating film. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, yeah, I mean, just before we begin, just what you were saying is, you know, I think what fascinates everyone and what certainly caught on to me um at about charles manson is that you know it's, it's this group of people and they have these funny names and and they are uh, very strange and, and weird and then then they commit all these random bizarre murders and it's just such a fascinating story uh regardless of how you come into it but, oh. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, I mean, I, it's it's just got it's got documentary film written all over it. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, how I got into it was um, I uh, I was filming a series that I do for uh, the Reels channel called uh, The Shocking Truth, uh, which is on Reels right now, and and we were filming the first season. We're just finishing up the second season right now, and uh, during the first season, I met a couple authors who were working on a manuscript, and one of the authors had actually spoken to Charles Manson, and. and they kind of the manuscript they were working on was about this um, uh, Charles Manson's perspective hmm. of the uh, of the murders, and and they said there's a, they kind of said well you know we we don't buy into the whole helter skelter thing, and and that kind of put the seed of the idea okay. in my mind, and um, and uh, I remember asking them I said do you think uh, I could talk to Charles Manson directly, and they said no no way. <laughs> that'll never happen. You know, one of the authors had spoken to him a number of years ago, uh, but they said, no, though, you know, we've been writing him for years now and he never replies and all this. Hmm. And so, uh, but they, they said, you know, go ahead. And so I, I wrote him a few letters and, um, months later, uh, like I said, I was on Applebee's, we were filming and just had finished. We were in the middle of uh, Florida in a little town called Crystal River. And an eight, uh, eight slice pizza, right? <laughs> the pizza was the sample platter. Okay, I thought, <laughs> I thought I read somewhere you were eating pizza when the call came. No, out. it was actually we were <laughs> the Crystal River is in the middle of Florida, um, and uh, it's a very small town. And we had said to the hotel, we were, we checked in the hotel, and I remember we said to the uh, the person that was checking us in, we said, "Is there anywhere good to eat?" And they said, "Oh, there's some great places around here. It's a great local place." eat there all the time and we said great what's it called and they said it's called applebee's funny <laughs> we said, oh you know, and i remember she said have you ever been there and i said yeah i've been to applebee's <laughs> <laughs> well she well versed like, oh. in applebee's yeah yeah she said oh she's very surprised <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so there you are yep eating the the sample yeah. platter the call comes in yeah and then my phone just rang and it had a funny number on it and i looked at it and i picked it up and it said, uh, and then the voice comes over the line and said, you, you, you know, this is the global telling for the company that inmates in California used to call, to call out. And it said, this is global telling. You look prepaid call from, and then his voice came on Charles Manson. And I was shocked. And I, I 
was with uh, the director of photography, uh, Nate Harper, who I work with, and I said, Nate, I think Charles Manson's calling me. And he said, what? And I ran out. We both ran outside. Um, I'm sure the waitress thought we'd, we'd ditched on our bill. Yeah, I bet. Because <laughs> it was very loud. So we were, Monday Night Football was on. We ran out to the parking lot. And um, and uh, his voice just came on, and, and he said, do you accept the call? I said, yes. And he, and he said, hey. And I said, Charlie? And he said, hey, man, I got your letters. And I said, uh, he said, uh, how's it? I said, how's it going? And he said, groovy, man. Groovy. And that was it. And then we started talking. And um, that started the year of talking to him on the phone. Um, How bizarre. How utterly bizarre. And and he just died on the 19th of November, right? He did, yeah. Yeah, he did. He died on uh, the 19th of November. And uh, I remember on the the morning, my phone just blew up. We looked at it, and it was full of text messages. And we were just finishing the documentary. I mean, we were literally finishing it that week. Right. Um, and uh, all of a sudden, and then I, that spurred weeks of just work and just getting, we're trying to get it out the door as quick as we could. So, so, so is is the lesson to be learned here in, in, our, in our interview today that you should always take collect phone calls? Is that what we're going to come away with? <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think, Absolutely. I, I think that might be it. There's so, I, I don't even know where to begin. I mean, there's so many things to, to, to ask you. Maybe, maybe I'm going to start with you a little bit. So why, so sure. why crime? It seems like you've got a little bit of an interest there. Uh, based, yeah. Based on you know your your directorial profile, your filmography, and so on, what what is it about about is it is it criminals? Is it evil? Is it is it your love for uh, solving a problem? What, what, what? Uh, I don't, you know I don't know. I I was always interested in true crime. Um, and, well, all crime is true, but I was <laughs> I was always interested in crime and criminals and psychopaths from a very early age. Um, my mother the best-selling author. She's, she's a famous author in Canada. Uh, she writes um, uh, mostly hockey autobiographies. She hmm. wrote uh, Kelly, Kelly Rudy's book, and she wrote like Wayne Gretzky's book. Her name is Kirsty McClellan Day. Um, so she she always our, our house is always full of books, and she was always really into crime. And so was my grandfather was always really hmm. into these kind of true crime books. So uh, like I remember reading Helter Skelter in high school, and 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 books like that um, on the on the bus to high school, and I was always really interested in that. And then in university, um, I worked um, in uh, healthcare and, and did a lot of work in mental health, and was really mm, interested in that. Interesting. Yep. And then uh, I did a, a postgraduate degree in um, in clinical psychology, and um, as part of that, I, I did a lot of writing about uh, psychopaths and. and stuff like that, and was always very interested in it. And uh, I actually, I remember um, doing a thesis paper on the violent psychopaths, and uh, this was before the Internet. Um, and I wanted some background research, so I, I called, I cold-called the Milwaukee Police Department Funny. and asked for the files on Jeffrey Dahmer. Oh, man. <laughs> and I was, and, this, and they said, why? And I said, well, I was just a graduate student. And... I mean, again, this is before the internet, so you could get away with things like that. Sure, sure. And did and did you and, and did you get them? Yeah, and then uh, oh. they sent me. A, they said you have to send us ten dollars, and I did. <laughs> and I got a huge, which I still have. They sent me a huge binder of just of his verbatim confession and wow. all the files on him and stuff. And, and so I was always really interested in stuff like that. And then uh, and then. Uh, 
I had worked in a number of genres in television, and uh, true crime is just one I've kind of been successful at. Yeah, it's it's. I love I love that as an opening line. You know, I've always been interested in crime criminals and psychopaths. That's that's, that's <laughs> <laughs> how to how to win friends and influence people, James. I love it. It's uh, yeah. <laughs> put put that on your business card. So, do you believe do you believe Manson was he is he or is he and or was he the most famous being human that that ever lived? And 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 was that and was that really what he was after? I mean, he says at one point in the film, I think, in your conversations with him, that mm-hmm. he was trying to get away from civilization. I de- yeah, I definitely. I mean, um, so to your first question, was he the most? I mean, he was incredibly famous. Yeah, um, that was. I mean, why he was incredibly famous is a, is a long conversation, but yeah, sure, yeah, absolutely was incredibly famous. And he was very much aware of it. And, and one thing I was really surprised at in speaking with him was how conscious he was of his own notoriety. Um, <laughs> and, quite, know, he and, re- and quite proud of it, right? Yeah, oh, absolutely. He really understood. I mean, there's good and bad. Um, I know in prison, people tried to kill him a lot. Oh, um, is that right? One yeah. Person tried, yeah, one person tried to light him on fire once um, and did light him on fire briefly, uh, but he survived. Um, I don't think he was very injured by it. Um, he'd been... Uh, um, he'd been assault, uh, prison gang had jumped him and tried to kill him once. Um, I mean, I think in prison, as it was explained to me, is in prison, if you were the man who killed Charles Manson, that, that would have been very good for your prison career. Of course. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he was, he was kept in a very, a special place uh, that was built actually specifically for him in Corcoran state prison in California, California state prison. And it, it was called the protective housing unit. Mm-hmm. And, um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, his infamy was good and bad. Also, uh, he, his infamy helped him survive um, because if people are um, afraid of you, they'll kind of leave you alone in prison, right. too. That's the other right. side of the coin. Sure. sure. Um, so, yeah, that was, that was definitely part of it. And sorry, I don't remember what your second question is. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the, well, he, he, I think it was uh, related to this notion of he was trying to get away from civilization. It's, oh, it's, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's something that's very misunderstood of the Manson family. And this is a really consistent thing. I mean, I, I spoke to many members of the family that are in the documentary. We also tracked down a number of members of the, of the original Manson family. Um, you know, they don't like to be called that. Yeah, no, of course. Manson family. But uh, we tracked many members down. Uh, and talked to them off camera. They didn't want to participate in the documentary for one reason or another. But that was a really consistent thing they said, was that the idea of what they were doing is that he was trying to create this kind of, like, prisoner's paradise. You know, he had just gotten out of prison, and and he was trying to, you know, live in the woods and, and have women and sex and drugs and do his own thing. I mean, he, he really... He really didn't want to be part of of uh, civilization or society. Um, that's one of the one of the, the things that's often reported about him is that he wanted to be a famous musician like the Beatles and the Beach Boys. Right. But um, there isn't a lot of evidence for that. Um, in fact, when you look at the reason he he wasn't a famous musician is is he wouldn't sign contracts. He he liked playing his own music. He liked doing his own thing. You know, he he uh, was happy kind of being a vagrant, nomadic type person. 
At one at one point, I think in your conversation with him, it, he, I think he says something to the effect of it took him years before he knew what the word cult even meant. Oh yeah, I mean that's a common thing too. I remember Barbara Hoyt recently uh, passed away, unfortunately, but I was the last person to interview her, and I remember her telling me that uh, she had the word cult didn't come up till very much later. Uh, there, even that trial, they aren't described as a cult. Um, and, and, you know, communes of that nature were very common in California sure. at that time. Yeah. yeah, at that time. So, yeah, and I mean, there were um, there were cults around there at that time, but, I mean, the word cult is a very loaded term, and, and they definitely weren't describing themselves as a cult. And, and it wasn't kind of till years later that people started retroactively describing the Manson family as a cult. How how much of it, and I think this comes out, you know, without giving uh, uh, too much about the film and and so on and what and what you've uncovered, how much of the story and I, came out of the, and I don't remember reading it, but I did read it as well sure. as a young kid, and I think I told you offline that uh, I remember, uh, you know, as soon as I started watching the film, I had, I mean, I got goosebumps, you know, the <laughs> the I saw the film Helter Skelter, which was based on the book. I think it was made in the, the mid seventies. I was living in Montreal, I believe at the time on this really crummy black and white TV that my family owned. But those images just kept, that came in of the, the, the Tate and the, the Bianca murders and, and the, 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 the body lines, I guess you could say, and just all, all of it, you know, the, the there's mm-hmm. something about those images that they just, I don't know. They almost feel yeah. evil. And how much yeah. of that comes out of what seems to have been not the true story, which was in fact, uh, uh, I guess, Helter Skelter, right? Uh, Bugli- yeah. Bugliosi's book, Vincent Bugliosi's book. Bu- yeah, Bugliosi. Bugliosi, yeah. thanks. Yeah, the G is actually silent. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, but how awesome. non-Canadian. Yeah, I know, but it's very, every, everyone calls him. Uh, right. um, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think, I mean, I think a lot of it's not true. I, you know, this, that's the ironic part is, you know, when you, even it, even now, if you, if you go back and you read the initial police reports from the Sharon Tate homicides and the secondary police reports and the original forensics, a lot of it really does not match the narrative that's still being told to this day. Right. Um, right. And we didn't even really get in, in the documentary into, um, the really specifics of what happened that night on August 8th, 1969. Um, and, and, uh, and it's really even, I mean, you could spend a whole documentary talking about what happened that night uh, specifically um, because it's been so twisted and distorted and, right. and, you know, over the, at the trial and over the years. So, um, you know, definitely the crime scene photos and how the bodies were placed. Um, in those murders is horrific and disturbing and and uh, shocking when you see them. But what actually happened those nights uh, is is a whole thing you could get into. And um, is that is that uh, what is that what Fleshman sort of talks about a little bit when he I think the quote from him was something along the line mm-hmm. the whole thing was scary. But he but you don't you don't give us any more than that. You just sort of yeah. I mean he's still bound by attorney. That's what it was. Yeah, that's right. He yeah. said he can't. Yeah. He can't actually tell us what actually happened. Or yeah, yeah, he can't actually say exactly what Linda said to him, which is the whole interesting thing. Um, but even you know, Linda's alleged involvement, what that was. I mean, that's a whole conversation into itself. 
But I think that's what's really fascinating about the whole Manson story is that, you know, it, you think you know everything there is to know about sure, it, but when sure. you really start to read about it, when you really start to look at it, you realize there's a whole world of stuff we still that is that has been ignored or, or right. misrepresented or untold. How much? How much of this? I mean. I just had this thought. Was this the beginning of reality TV in some senses? You know that that you know. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like this voyeuristic well, was... kind of wow. Am I ever glad I'm not like those crazy animals who shaved their heads and killed those innocent people? You know. I think it was. I think it was more. It was the end of the sixties. I mean, it was literally the end of the sixties. It was nineteen sixty nine, and the trial took place in nineteen seventy. But it was also. It was the end of that. The trial of Charles Manson was, uh, at the time, was the biggest story in America. Right. Uh, and it really put a period on the end of the sentence of this, about the sixties. Mm. Um, you know, it was, uh, it coincided with, um, kind of, uh, the end of the Vietnam war more or less. And, um, and, uh, shift in music and a shift in culture. And it also just terrified, uh, Los Angeles and just changed the culture of Los Angeles. Because before that, I mean, I, I, we interviewed uh, Jake Sebring's uh, girlfriend, uh, who, who appears in the uh, documentary, uh, and I interviewed ex- her extensively, and I remember her telling me about, you know, before the murders, you know, there was parties and, and drugs, and, and it was a very small community. Hollywood was a very small community. And then when the murders happened, people just went crazy with fear. Right. And, and it kind of just, Changed Los Angeles, and all this, and, and that whole kind of old Hollywood scene just disappeared overnight. The the um, the the fa- the fascinating thing, um, well, there's so many so many fascinating things. Yeah. Um, for um, so forty was he forty miles away when, when the, the murders when, took when, place? They, when the murders actually took place, and I mean, I think. When, it's, I think it's yeah. fascinating your comment about uh, earlier. You said something like that. You know, the facts don't match the narrative of what's still being told today. I mean, so so I guess I guess mm-hmm. the question. I mean, there's so many questions there. I think James, but but one for me is what what drew you to this? Clearly, the you know the criminal, the crime, the psychopath drew you in. But um, sure. you know, is this is this is this about justice? You know, is this about a cult of power? You know, was this more about telling you know the true story here? And and yeah, I mean. You, what drew me in for sure was the idea that you could take someone who's so well known, Charles Manson, yeah. who it was literally the shorthand for evil. Yes, indeed. And and you could have that, and and there you could have an entire story about him that's never been told, or or the idea that that person that we all know could be misunderstood. That idea is what kind of drove us for me in, to, in the beginning. It's kind of, it's interesting. You know, I had, honestly, I swear to you, I, had, I hadn't thought of this until right this second, but in, the, in, sure. this, in this age of fake news, pretty, pre- mm-hmm. pre- pretty interesting insights on a story that's, what, 60, how many years old is this now? 70, 39, 42? Uh, it took place, yeah. It took, I think uh, it took place in, 19, the murders were in 1969 and the trial was in 1970, so it's been... Um, 48 years this year since the trial, so 49 years since the murder. But, yeah, that that, that, that had occurred. What, that's something that's very interesting about Charles Manson, is, uh, and we did a ton of research on Charles Manson in, in making the documentary, and every single article, 
almost without exception that I read, and every single documentary, almost without exception that I saw, has is full of factual inaccuracies, hmm. wrong, wow, wrong names. That's deeply, wrong, you know, deeply troubling. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wrong dates, um, stuff left out, stuff taken out of the wrong context. You know, and and that that is, I found really fascinating about it. I remember we even. We downloaded, or we used some images from a very highly reputable image licensor, and they didn't even have names on them. Wow. And uh, and we were able to, to go back and say, oh, that that is actually not Sandra Good. That's Cappy. This picture, <laughs> you know, it's not like well, the picture would be labeled as Nancy Pittman, and we'd say, sure. no, that's not sure. Nancy Pittman. That's you know, Susan Atkins. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I'm, I remember um, when Charles Manson died, there was a meme going around the internet um, on Twitter, I think, and it said, um, we should not um, think of Charles Manson or something to that effect. We should be thinking about his victim. Right. It had a picture of yeah. all the victims. You remember seeing that? I did, I did, yeah. Yeah, one of the pictures, the picture that was of the victim, Gary Hinman, was not Gary Hinman. <laughs> it was the mugshot of Bobby Bosley who was oh. the murderer of Charles Manson. Okay, it's, it's not <laughs> funny, but it's hysterical, right? Yeah, but it's it's stuff like that. Like yep. That's how misunderstood this crime is that everybody thinks they know. I can't help but think, too, you know, this... Uh, we love to, it seems to me, when it comes to things like mental health issues and um, crimes, and certainly, I mean, one of my fascinations, as my listeners know and love, I, I do a lot of work overseas, a development guy, and I work in Cambodia, and so I've been oh, tra- yeah. traveling there for many, many years, and so one of the things that drew me in, similar to maybe your interest in true crime, was Vietnam War and the Khmer Rouge, and, and, and just, mm-hmm. and so here I was sitting in a Japanese bookstore in 99, reading, I just, I couldn't stop reading history, and what mm-hmm. Robert McNamara and the bombing and what about Laos and what were they doing in Cam- and so on and so on and just got drawn into this on a, on a historical level and then as I started to fall in love with the country and visited it you start to ask these questions of how how is this possible the Khmer Rouge 30 percent of the country the parents killing children children carrying parents how and we like to I think it seems to me oversimplify these things and so I mean is is he <laughs> Is he the personification of evil? I mean, is he truly a psychopath? I mean, at one point in the film, and you rightfully bring out this idea of his compassion and empathy were were, were beaten out of him. Yeah, I you mean, he what, def- yeah. what are your thoughts on, on some of that that whole notion? Like, because we love to say Charles Manson, evil. The guy was nuts. He was a madman. Don't you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was obviously. I mean, he was a product of the the prison system that he was raised in. I mean, that, that's, that's, I mean, the best way to understand Charles Manson is prison. Mm. He, I mean, everything about him is prison. Like he, or about him. Yeah. Like he, he spent, I think it was 22 years. He spent 20 years of the first, um, 34 years of his life. Yes. In prison. That was a crazy, you know? crazy. Uh, yeah. Uh, I think yeah. he'd, I think he'd been arrested more than 30 times. He'd been arrested just, I mean, it was like he went around the country trying to figure out what laws he could break and break them. I mean, he had spent so much time in prison. So when you really look at everything that he said and did, it was all about prison. Like, prison is segregated. That's kind of where his racial mm-hmm. beliefs came from. Mm-hmm. Um, everything about him, everything, all he talked about was, like, about survival, about life and death, about control, about giving up, you know, 
giving up your sense of control. You know, even he was a very hard, people don't know this about Charles Manson, but speaking of whether or not he was evil, he was a very passionate environmentalist. <laughs> how bizarre. <laughs> yeah, how strange, right, that he could, on one hand, uh, be very, you know, black and white in his thinking of life and death and murder, and on the other hand, he's a very, but up, up until his death, I mean, even, even, the uh, last few times I spoke with him, he always talked about the environment. He was a very passionate environmentalist. But that was from prison, too, because what would happen is he would go to prison, and then, uh, or he would he would be, you know, he'd camp or be in a field or, or a creek or a stream, and then he would go to prison for a number of years, and when he'd get out of prison, he'd go back to the creek, but it'd be gone. It'd be a shopping mall or, you know, a restaurant or something. Right. And so he got these very... in impassioned views on the environment and and so everything about him is about prison um you know that's that's how he viewed the world that's that's why you know money wasn't a big deal for him it was all about your word and 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 your word being your bond and and what you say because when you break your word in prison you know you can be killed right and so when he was on the outside and someone broke their word to him that was the justification for killing someone you know, uh, and and so everything about him was prison. So I don't really think necessarily he was, you know, genetically evil or, or right. something like that. But, you know, you can, you, I I think it's really clear where his views about morality and life come from, and it was from being in prison since the time he was nine. Well, you know, it's, yeah, exactly. I think I just, I, I've, uh, I wrote it down, by 24, he was, by the age of 24, he'd been arrested 30 times. That's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, talk about a, a commentary on 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 relationships and the whole idea of, of loneliness and being solitary and and not interacting with human, you know, the, the the culture around you and all that. And what is what is that like? What kind of an impact does that actually have? So yeah, got to bring yeah. up questions about reconciliation and rehabilitation and all that. Yeah, I mean, and that's it, that's where he got music from with prison. That's where he got. Uh, you know his ability to manipulate people that all came from prison everything well it's beautiful there, there isn't doesn't he say prison is a mind isn't that a direct quote yeah yeah, yeah he'd yeah. always say that um he had this whole philosophy he made up it's not in the documentary but he had this philosophy he made up called the mind me he said he would say this to me all the time where he he would say he viewed the world as if there's nobody but you, just you. Right. So sort of so, comes out a little uh, bit in some of the some of the conversations. Yeah, yeah. He actually says it in context once. He says, uh, "He says me is all there is." That's right. Yeah, that. yeah. Um, and he'd say that to me. He's like, "That's the mind me. Me is all there is. There's nobody but you. There's just you. And like just like there's just Charlie. There's just you. There's just there's Charlie. Just yeah." Is there anything yeah. is there anything you left out that you just you just couldn't put in or you thought you know what there's another film here um oh, I'm kind, yeah, of, I'm kind of fascinated by what didn't <laughs> didn't make it into the doc I think our first cut of the movie was over 3 hours <laughs> um, so and I think it ended up being the um the version that's going to be available on iTunes on Monday on the 30th in Canada is is an hour 45 um and uh so there is I mean there is a lot um Everything from, you know, we wanted to talk a lot more about what his life was like in prison. And, and he actually, uh, after he went to prison, he started a new movement, a new group of, you know, a de facto Manson family that are called Atwa, uh, Air Trees, Waters, Animals, that are still around to this day. Um, so we want to talk about that. We want to talk about his life in prison. 
we want to talk, uh, there's more connections um, with Tex Watson and the Sharon Tate murders, and we want to talk about those. Uh, we just, you know, we just had to make choices. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, well, isn't, uh, yeah, yeah, that, that's got to be, that's the job of any storyteller, I suppose. Yeah. What, do you, what do you know about, um, I just read too, uh, mm-hmm. I guess just before Christmas, isn't, isn't Tarantino yeah. going to be making a, a film now about, about Manson? Is that right? Have you? Yeah, heard? I know. I have heard it. Yeah, I know very little of it. Um, just what I've read in The Hollywood Reporter. Um, and, uh, but that is my understanding. Like, yeah, it'll be, it, won't it yeah. be fascinating okay. too, to see, uh, you know, fact versus fiction and, and, and where, and where, you know, Tarantino draws those lines or, 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 or. Yeah. Just, I mean, I mean, I'm a big fan of Quentin Tarantino, like everyone else. Um, my understanding is that the, I mean, just from what I've read is that the, it'll be more, um, like, uh, Inglorious Bastards was about, um, World War Two, but it definitely was not any sort of. It was a very. It was a fictional story told in sure, the backdrop of World sure, War Two, sure. and I think that's what this is too. So I don't know that it will, it will really have a lot of. There will really be a lot to debate in terms of, right? You know, it, it's it's uh, it's standing in reality. I think it's more of a fictional story, um, but I know. Um, at least a few of the, the the living Manson family members reached out to me to ask me if I if I knew anything about it and and wondering how they would be portrayed. I mm. think they're curious. I I bet. Well, it'll be interesting to see if they actually reach out to you as well for for any kind of um, you know uh, context or <laughs> fodder for yeah. writing. I mean, holy cow! <laughs> I doubt it, but I, I'm I'm more than open to it. Yeah, you never you never <laughs> know, eh? What do you you know? So so you've been dabbling in crime, criminals, and psychopaths now for a few years. What yeah, yeah. what what do you what? Do, I don't know. What do you what do you learn about about society? What do you learn about yourself? Um, uh, do, do you, well, I, you know, one thing I've really learned about. Sorry to cut you off. Yeah, there, no, go. One thing I really learned is one thing I'm really fascinated. I'm very fascinated with psychopaths, the idea of psychopathology and sociopaths. And I think I think the idea of psychopaths is, is really misunderstood. And I'm really fascinated with that. What, you know, I've spent time with psychopaths and talking to them on the phone and meeting them and things of that nature. And one thing I really think is misunderstood is that these are not um, sharks. They're not cold-blooded killers. You know, well, I mean, some of them are, but they're not emotionless robots who right. just can murder at random. Right. I mean, I mean, I think Charles Manson and many of the other psychopaths I, I met, I have met, uh, can feel a wide range of emotions. Um, they are just, they may feel them a lot differently and at different times and at different levels, and thus be capable of some, of some pretty horrible things. But you know, I think, I think that. It, like you said, I think earlier that it's people have a tendency to want to just paint things with a, uh, one color and, and kind of care. You know, it's very easy to understand someone as a monster. It's very difficult to understand someone as a very complicated Absolutely. person yeah. who makes complex decisions and has ugly. You know, that's one thing is a, a psychopath said this to me recently, but he's like, the truth is really ugly, and, and I thought mm. that was a really, really apt way of putting it because because all. You know, even the worst serial killers and, and, and killers and all this have these very complicated stories that are full of nuance, and mm-hmm. and it takes a long time to understand them, and and people don't often want to understand them. No. They just want to hear the cold notes, and well, you, that's when don't, you get kind of these characters. 
Yeah, and don't we to some degree want to label them, I suppose, madmans, uh, madmen or madwomen, because it, 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 it's easier. It is easier, and we can, we can compartmentalize it. it. It makes it a little more black and white. We don't have to delve into, oh, I don't know, relational and family and mental health issues that would just reveal more layers, right? More depth. Yeah, more, exactly, more... and it's not, a, it's not about creating excuses for it, but, but it's, there's a difference between understanding what happened to, to a given individual and, and what happened in a crime, and then just kind of drawing a cartoon character right. of the crime. Right. And I think with Manson, is he became, especially towards the end of his life, he very much became just a character of a person. Right, You know, right. You know he was a cartoon villain by the end. Um, and that's what I found really interesting is, 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 well, I wanted to understand really where he came from and, and really why he did the things he did and, and what led to all of it. Um, I'm going to have to wrap it up here in a couple couple minutes, sadly. Sure. We, uh, <laughs> it's just, yeah, I'm just have, having a blast with this conversation. Um, we And we barely touched on the Beach Boys and how that plays into that, because that, oh, yeah, sure. that was something I totally didn't understand, because when you, when you kind of look back and you try to make some of those causal connections, and I know very little about the whole thing, yeah. it almost seems like the whole story of, of this, that the, the madness of these killings and so on comes out of this almost ludicrous, um, um, story of revenge. Yeah. I mean, that's a big part of it. I mean, yeah. I, can, I can give you the, I can give you the reader's digest. Yeah. Yeah. It. Please but, yeah, uh, go. Yeah. That'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, you know, Dennis Wilson had this big mansion and, and, uh, two of the Manson girls, Elijah Bailey, and I think it was Leslie Van Houten, Oh no, I'm sorry. It was Elijah Bailey and Patricia Krenwinkel were hitchhiking, and he just picked them up one day and um, took them back to his house. And um, you know, this is a different time. And and then uh, they ended up having sex, I believe. And uh, and then uh, he went out, and then he came back. The the rest of the so-called Manson family was there, and so they just crashed in his house for like a month. <laughs> for a month. <laughs> yeah, it was like that. It was that simple. And um, they would play music and stuff, and, and, and Manson and, and Dennis Wilson kind of bonded. And, um, you know, the, the biggest evidence for me that they bonded was that Manson actually contributed a song to one mm-hmm. of their albums. Um, and uh, what, but what people don't understand, what we kind of reveal in the documentary and what many of the family kind of corroborated for me was that the, Manson kind of felt, Manson felt that he was going to be compensated for the use of that right. song, and he didn't—he didn't do contracts or anything like that. It was all handshake deals. It was like I was saying sure. earlier: it's all about your word. For him. Right. Sure. Yeah. So he—he he felt that the record producer Terry Melcher had given his word that he would pay him five thousand bucks for the song, but he never received the five thousand dollars, and that was really the beginning of the grudge that he had against him. And and so when a whole other set of factors happened and he was and Manson and, and the group were looking for a spot to commit a crime, he thought, well, great, Terry Melcher's house, this, this will solve two birds with one stone because he burned me on that song earlier. Um, so, so that's going to be the spot. You know, and I think there's no question that none of the people that were involved in the Sharon Tate murders knew that Sharon Tate lived at that house. Right. I mean, at, at the, at the uh, trial, they tried to create this scenario in which Manson had met Sharon Tate at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's a long story, but 
that's a very suspect story, and, and that the witness actually recanted years later. But in my mind, I don't think any of them knew that Sharon Tate lived there. I think they all thought Terry Melcher lived there. Um, and so, ironically, the fact that Sharon Tate did live there and she was a movie star um, really elevated what their crime right, so, right. and kind of you know made them famous, essentially. But I don't, I don't think that was their goal murder a movie star, but they did, uh, tragically, which made their crime really famous. <laughs> it's interesting, too, and I can't, I have to ask you this question now, just yeah, because yeah. of the, 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 the compassion and the empathy question about Manson, because I, I can't help but not think about um, um, the mental health-like nature of some of this stuff, and I'm not, you know, I, I don't know, we, got, we haven't got time to get into all of that, but was it, was it Susan Atkins who was there uh, when Sharon Tate was mm-hmm. murdered? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Susan and Atkins is the one. Yeah, that she, held her. She was holding yeah. on to her, and and she said yeah. something to the the effect of in her in her trial, and I think it's in the film. I had mm-hmm. no I had no compassion uh, for her. I felt I felt I felt nothing for her, and then said right. something to the effect of, "Listen, bitch, you are going to die tonight," or something. And I, what? How, she said, "Yeah." How do you? Yeah, that's what I said. How do you she get said, listen, to listen, bitch? Point? You're gonna. Oh, sorry. She said, "Listen, bitch, you're going to die tonight, and there's not a thing you can do." Or yeah. I don't feel a thing behind it. And that's just—I mean, I can't even—I mean, it's probably not a place to end the interview, but but <laughs> but it really does raise some pretty interesting questions, and 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 I hope drives people to to see the film. By the way, produced by 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 uh, Pyramid Pyramid Productions. Check check them out online. That's PyramidProductions.com, isn't it? Uh, or is it dot, uh, dot TV? Dot TV. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. So what can you say about that? That just that what gets a 20 year old, 19, 20 year old to a place that where she could actually say something like that and then commit that kind of crime. That that's, that is the question for me. Yeah. I mean, a big, a big part of it is, is, uh, LSD and, uh, right. And amphetamines, which is what she was on that night. Right. <laughs> so they, you know, she had been taking, I mean, I, 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 in, uh, she said they took in those, one thing about Manson is you, you'll forget it. It took place over a very short period of time. Right. He was only out of prison for, I think it was under two years before the time. Right. And the whole family was only together for maybe 18 months or something. So, but in that period of time, she said she dropped acid. Um, she estimated three to 500 times. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, that is a lot of acid. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you know, so. So, I mean, her grip on, in terms of what, what does it take to get a person there, I mean, that alone pretty much answers the question. They'd yeah, also taken yeah. uh, amphetamines the night they went out on that. I mean, so she was just gone. She was gone, yeah. On top of that, I mean, there's, Susan Atkins had a terrible childhood. Yeah, which you, which you uh, do her, bring out in the film. Yeah, and that, that was another thing, is you know, because your question is, you know, how do you get there? You know, there's this myth that Charles Manson went around Southern California recruiting librarians and, and wannabe nuns and made them serial yeah, killers. Sunday, Sunday school the, teachers, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All the people that really, like Susan Atkins, Leslie Manhouse, Patricia Krenwinkel, they all had just horrible backstories. Tragic mm-hmm. things happened to them. And um, by the time they met up with Manson, they were really all very kind of lost souls. Right. Uh, broken people, uh, text too. Um, so Susan Atkins in particular, I mean, she, uh, her mother died of cancer. She was sexually abused, allegedly. Um, her, she'd been, she'd almost, she'd pretty much been abandoned by her family. Mm. Um, and I actually got a hold of one of her family members and, and spoke to him. He was, uh, the person I got a hold of, uh, 
was going to be interviewed for our documentary and, and he just, uh, he, it was just too hard for him. You know, mm. it still affects their yeah. family. Yeah, and so we ended up not doing it, but, um, he, uh, um, her, she, sorry, uh, Susan Atkins just had this, you know, horrible, and then she got into acid and drugs and, and, and just, and, and kind of lived this life just trying to be devoid of feeling and consequence right. and dealing with anything. And, and it just spiraled. But by the time she got to Sharon Tate, I mean, that was, that was the end of a long road. Right, right. And I think that's what we were saying earlier, is that when you look at all these events in, in crime, you know, the crime is always at the end of a long continuum of events. Of events. And, and sometimes it's, it's very hard to step back and see how they all connect. Yeah. And people don't like to. They just kind of want to, if you just label that person as evil, then it's, you understand it. Well, I think, you know, a fascinating film and, and what a great conversation. So, I mean, it, it, we're talking about power and truth and justice and <laughs> compassion and empathy. I mean, it's just, forget about Manson. There's, there's, there's way more important things to talk about. It's, uh, listen, I really appreciate your, your time. We've been speaking with, with James Day today about uh, his new film, Charles Manson, The Final Words, which is now available for everyone to see uh, in a, very mm-hmm. soon on, on iTunes. James, thanks uh, thanks so much for your time today. I, re- I really do appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water, it starts to just taste bland, and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness, and they come in five different flavors. They're so good wild berry acai grape pineapple mango lemon and mandarin orange my favorite is the wild berry because i just i just love a berry so if you're like me and you're drinking water all day then try splash refresher it's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you acast powers the world's best podcasts here's a show that we recommend The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.